Were you named after a grandma, an aunt, a cousin, a, a president, somebody famous? Do you have a namesake? Is, how many people? Yeah, you, you know, all of my kids are, were named after uh, something along those lines. I won't say anything right now because uh, I don't want to embarrass them. But, but absolutely, one a little bit beyond what just sounds good uh, together. Names are powerful things. But names sometimes can convey uh, information that we don't want conveyed. You know, when we have a name that maybe we wish was changed. I've got some, some folk here that I'm going to give you their real name, and then you just scream out the name by which we know them. Okay? We'll see, we'll see how this goes. Now, so some of these are a little bit easier than others, but first name, we're going to start off real easy here. Uh, her real name was Norma Jean Mortensen. Marilyn Monroe! Yes, yes, Marilyn Monroe. Okay, okay. How about here we go? Marion Robert Morrison. John Wayne. Okay, okay. Here we go. Isser Danielovich. Now, you know, older people know this. Isser Danielovich, Kirk Douglas. Ah, you know, see why the guy changed that name, right? Okay. <laughs> How about now? You, some of you, you younger people are going from crying. Who are these people? Right, forget it. Don't worry about that. Here you go. Um, Winona Horowitz. Winona Ryder. Okay. How about this? Her real name is Destiny Hope. That sounds like a, a stage name to me, but we don't we don't know her by Destiny Hope. What what is her name? Miley Cyrus, yes, yes, yes. Do you, do you know? Actually, I'm, I'm told. I don't. I'm told that the reason why she got Miley is because her dad used to call her Smiley, but she couldn't pronounce the S, so it was Miley. So that's how she got Miley Cyrus. Okay, here you go. Um, his real name: Peter Jean Hernandez. Younger guys, you know Bruno Mars. It's Bruno Mars. How are you? How about Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata? Lady Gaga. Yeah. All right. All right. You know, names—they're—they're they're powerful things. They—they—they they, they demonstrate our, our legacy. They—they they share who we are inside. They—they they tell us some of our attributes. For example, World Federation Wrestling. You don't have Horatios and Melvins and Egberts. Good names, good names, but they don't say, you know, I'm going to rip your head off. You know, you've got, you got Hulk Hogan's and Crushers and Hitman and, and all these, Andre the Giant, these sort of, of people. Now, when we were kids, remember we used to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Now, we knew, and the people calling us those things knew that that was a big fat lie, because names actually hurt us, because you do not want a title sticking to you, a, a name associated with you that said, you know, loser or failure or something derogatory. I mean, it was, you couldn't have that happen, so you're throwing names back just to get that you can't have the name stick to you. You know, I think this is why Jesus said that if you ever call your brother Raka, which is a fool, call them a name, a negative name. Jesus says, you shall be in danger of hellfire. I mean, this whole this names thing is kind of significant. It's very important. It was important with, with God, which is why God comes to a guy named Abram and changes his name to Abraham, right? Father of many nations. It's an appropriate name. He tells Ancient of Days Abraham and Ancient of Days Sarah that they're going to have a baby. And so what do they do? They laugh at God. 
But when they have the baby, they name the baby Laughter, Isaac. Okay, Rachel, she's having a, a, her son, and she's dying in childbirth. And just before she dies, she names her boy. You should always think of the kid's name before the, you know this situation, because then this would be alleviated. But she names this poor kid Ben Oni, which is son of my sorrow. Now the dad has enough common sense so that after Rachel dies, he changes the kid's name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. You know, I would much rather be known as my father's right-hand man than my mom's sorrow, right? You know, they did a a survey in the 70s. They did 15,000 juvenile delinquents. And if you had an embarrassing name, uh, a, a, a strange name, you had a four percent, four times higher rate of getting in trouble with the law. Names have a, 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 a impact on us. They, they, they have a, uh, they, they tell others who we are. You know this if you, if you're struggling and you start saying things like, I'm such an idiot. I'm such a jerk. I'm such, we know that names are very, very important. And so, so the, the, the prophet Isaiah, he's writing 700 years, 740 years before Jesus is born. But he looks, he can see Jesus coming. And he says, let me share with you his names. And so in Isaiah 9, 6, it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, these are his names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, these aren't names he's going to write on the top of his, you know, math test and stuff. This uh, uh, kind of in his DNA. This is who he is. This is who he will be. What we're going to do through this series between now and Christmas is we're going to take a week to look at each one of these names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For this reason, you may have been a believer a long time. And you may know Jesus as your Savior. He's going to take you to, to, to heaven. Sincerely, genuinely, you've repented. You've been born again. But do you know him as these things? Because here's the deal. I don't know God as well as I should know him, as well as I can know him. And I'm thinking, this is the whole goal, right, of every time when we get together and we open God's word, it's not to be entertained, it's not to have our emotions moved, it's not to be kept awake, though that's probably a good thing. It, it, it's, it's to see God, right, right, that's our goal, and understand his will, and, and conform our life through his Holy Spirit there, that we might know him better, that we might be transformed. That's our, our goal. And so as we're especially looking at who Jesus is through the eyes of Isaiah the prophet, our, our goal by the end of the series is that we might know him better. That's, that's the plan. Now, you, you can't... Um, I mean, Isaiah 9, 6, right? Uh, there's like eight chapters and five verses that happened before this. And so you can't just jump in the middle. You've got to know the background a little bit to, to understand this verse. And so this, I'm going to kind of, this kind of like an opening, an introduction to the whole, whole series. And so we want to look a little bit at the background of this verse. That will help us understand this verse. In 933... The nation of Israel split north and south. I think we got a map somewhere, right? Yep. Now the 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 top right. That's the 
The northern kingdom, they became Israel. South became uh, Judah. This guy's headquarters is uh, Jerusalem. This guy's headquarters is, uh, is it Damascus, Samaria. Um, each of these guys had kings from 933 on to their demise of the empire. Now, the kings, fascinating thing. If you, you got books in the Bible, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, it talks all about these kings. It keeps talking about the kings. You're going for crying out loud, so what's with all the kings? Israel was an incredibly unique nation at this time in history. To my knowledge, they're the only one, but there may have been some else. But I think they're the only nation that didn't believe that their kings were God or would become God. The Egyptians knew their king was God. The, the Greeks, they, their kings would be become God, but the Jews never thought that. They, they thought that their king was to represent God. In other words, he was to, to lead his people with righteousness and with justice and with love and with mercy and bring in the blessings of God. That's what he was supposed to do, but he, he, was, he was not God. Well, come seventh chapter of Isaiah, a guy gets on the throne for the south, Judah. His name is Ahaz. Now, Ahaz is bad news. Second Kings 16, Second Chronicles 28 tells all about Ahaz. What Ahaz does is he goes to the, because the temple is in Jerusalem. That's, that's, that's the capital of the south. Well, it used to be the capital of the whole thing, but now it's the capital of the south. Ahaz goes to the temple and he locks the doors. No more worshiping God. He then takes all the worshiping tools and accoutrements and he destroys them. Basically saying, we're not worshiping God anymore. And then he erects uh, statues of, of Baal all over the southern kingdom. And different, he, he actually sacrifices the crown prince, his own son, sacrifices him to one of these gods. And throughout Judah, uh, horrific things are happening. I mean, we're talking decadence par excellence. I mean, just, just, just incredible abuse on every level. I mean, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. It's, it's, life is very, very, very dark. But it's gonna get worse. Because what happens is the North, they connect with these guys up here. This is Syria. Not Assyria, but this is Syria. This is a neighboring nation. And so the guys in the north, they make an alliance with Syria. And they say, hey, how about we get our armies together and go whomp on the southern kingdom, Judah. And so they march on Jerusalem. And Isaiah lets us know that when the people in Jerusalem heard that they were coming, they were all quaking in their boots. Oh, no, we're going to get in trouble. And this is what was supposed to happen. What was supposed to happen here is Ahaz was supposed to was supposed to be like a wake-up call for him. This was like a major crisis for his nation. He's supposed to go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I messed up so huge. I, 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 I led the people the wrong way. We're worshiping wrong things. And so I repent, and please forgive me, and clean things up, open up the temple, lead his people in, in uh, repentance. That's what he was supposed to do. But that's not what he did, because Ahaz hated God. And so what Ahaz does is he goes to the bank. All this money in the temple treasury is supposed to belong to God. He takes it all. And he sends it. And he sends it to this new bully on the block. Assyria. It's not Syria. Assyria. Their capital's right there. Nineveh from Jonah fame. But, but Assyria has been eating up nations and empires and people groups by the groves. 
And, and Ahaz thinks these are probably nice guys to get in an alliance with anyway, but he sends them all the money, and he kind of hires them as mercenaries and says, will you guys come and attack the, 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 the northern kingdom in Syria for me because they're going to wallop me? And so the Assyrians say, sure, we'll do that. They were going to do it anyway if they weren't paid. But now that they're paid, sure, they're going to do it. So they, they come on down and they, they attack. And lo and behold, the, the, the marching on Jerusalem is thwarted. And then they go back to try to take care of the Assyrians. And Ahaz is probably thinking, that worked out well for me. But you can't depend on people when you should be depending on God and have that work well for you. And so what happened is Assyria came through, and within 18 years, the entire north, they had conquered. They had destroyed their, their, their capital. They had exiled many of the people. And then Assyria gets this idea. They're thinking, Jerusalem, they're really not our friends. And so they march on Jerusalem. And, and, and this, this huge war machine, they actually eat up a lot of the southern kingdom. When they get to Jerusalem, they kind of get stuck because Jerusalem is so well fortified. So what they do is they say, we're going to put a siege around Jerusalem and wait them out. We're just going to hang out around there until these people inside starve, and they're going to open the doors to us sooner or later. And so sure enough, just, just not a couple years down the road, famine is so great in the city that, that uh, it's... Everyone's in survival mode. I mean, we're talking cannibalism. They're eating each other and each other's children, just trying to stay alive. Disease is rampant in this city. It just cannot get any darker than it is at this point. Now, it's going to be just a couple years before when Isaiah writes. But I look at that, I, I wonder, this really isn't a whole lot different than today. I used to be a news junkie, um, and I don't check the news nearly as much as I used to. It's just so incredibly uh, depressing. I'm just not even sure what to, to do with it. I'm not sure if the uh, stuff going international, all the issues going on in the Internet. You know, there are 29 wars going on right now today. Most of them don't get the press that the big guys get. But, but 29 places where people are just trying to be mom and dad and raise their family where... It's being destroyed. Uh, the, the international scene. But then you look at what's going on in, in the country and, and the politicians and big in the news these days and the movie stars and the people with power sexually abusing those underneath them. How about this? And it's been all over the paper for the last few weeks. Female school teachers sexually exploiting their male students. I mean, who would, where, where is that coming from? It was in the news just not too long back. A mom and her daughter got married because they were attracted to each other. You get things where guys, or kids, bringing guns to school or bringing guns, people bringing guns to work or people bringing guns to big events just because there's no specific reason. We're just going to kill a lot of people. Life is so cheap today. You look at it, we are in a dark, dark time. You, you wonder... Oh, man. Man. Well, Isaiah writes, if you've got your Bibles turned to chapter, chapter 9, but I'm going to pick it up even in chapter 8. Because Isaiah is writing uh, chapter 8, verse 16. He says, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. 
And Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. This is verse 19 of chapter 8. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter. Ahaz had brought sorcery. Of course, that was part of this deal as well. I, I tend to believe that all idols are demonic in nature anyway. So should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Then I love this rallying cry Isaiah screams out here. To the teaching and to the testimony. That's God's word. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, no light. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward, not towards heaven, and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You know, throughout the Bible, darkness is associated with the absence of God. That's why hell is considered a a, a dark place. It's the absence of of God. It's where uh, evil reigns. It's injustice. It's confusion. Just think of dark. You can't see where you're going. Sometimes you've been in dark, which is so thick darkness it's 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 almost scary men love darkness because their deeds were evil it's it's associated with the absence of god meanwhile light is associated throughout scripture over and again with god's presence it's warmth it's clarity it is associated with with peace and light is god's presence darkness is god's absence it's sometimes god saying this is what you want Finally, he says, okay, I'm going to quit holding the back. Go. You got it. I wonder if that's a little bit what's going on in our world right right now. Uh, they're in darkness. But look, chapter 9. Things turn. Look at the first word. But, and if you like to write in your Bible, I mean, I got that word circled multiple times in mine. But, what a great little word. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, in the world, does, does that mean? It's got a but in there. There's going to be no anguish. Somehow this is coming through Galilee. But what is, what is that, that all about? Well, this is, this is the deal with that. Right up here, this is Galilee. And, and um, they call it Zebulun Naphtali because that's a couple of tribes that are right there. But that's, that's the Galilee region. Now, if you're going to attack Israel, really you can come one of two places. Because you're not going to come through this way. This is all desert. This, you go through this way, you're going to wipe. Your whole army will be dead before you get there. Most of them are not coming through the Mediterranean either. That doesn't happen. So you can come through the south. But problem is, Egypt is right here. And you've got to get through Egypt to get to Israel. And for whatever reason, Egypt pretty much, for the most part, leaves Israel alone after the Israelites have left and the ten plagues and stuff. They leave them alone. So the only way to get into Israel... Right here. Galilee is like the front door to the 
Holy Land. When the Assyrians came, they came through Galilee. When the Babylonians came, they came through Galilee. When Alexander the Great came, he came through Galilee. Galilee is the first place, the first massive battle that's going to wipe out the the uh, Holy Land. And when these guys came in, they exiled all the people. They brought in and repopulated it with other foreign people. There were certainly Jews there. There were good godly Jews there. But melting pot. Was it, that's why they call it Galilee of the Gentiles. And what he's saying is there was a time when the enemies came through Galilee. When that was the place where, where, where horrific things, where the humiliation of the first battle, that was, that was Galilee. But there's a day coming when the solution is going to come from Galilee. And, 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 and we're not going to connect the dots too much right now, but you know that Jesus was raised in Nazareth. Nazareth was right, Zebulun, it's right there, Galilee. That's where Jesus was raised. You would think that the answer would come out of, out of headquarters, right? Jerusalem. No, no, God's doing things a little different. It's going to come from more of the simple, the more of the mundane, more of that which the world does not think is important. That's often where God wants to, wants to work. He says there's, there's, there's a solution coming. And in verse 2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. i got great circled. A great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You notice the people didn't turn the light on, right? You notice that? They didn't do a whole lot of things in order to God to say, Oh, okay, I'll turn the light on. They're just going through their life, and God decided... To flick the switch. God turned the light on. He says, and you have multiplied the nation. You, this is some characteristics of this light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is... Uh, uh, this joy, it's, it's like happiness on steroids, right? It is, it is what everyone in this world is looking for. But it's not circumstantial. It's, it's the circumstance can come and go, but it's an internal thing that will always be there. It's, it's, it's the, the peace, the exuberance that, that reality brings. And the idea, you know, you think of the angels, right? They come, Jesus is born to the shepherds at night, and then they, the angels come, and it says that the glory of the Lord, the brightness of the glory of the Lord shone around them, and what did they say? I bring you good news of great joy. And so the shepherds run to see Jesus, and when they see him, they come back rejoicing. And then the wise men, they see the star. Matthew, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The world had not known. It had known a temporal happiness, but it had not known this before. This great joy. So one of the characteristics of this light is real joy. It's what people are looking for. It goes in verse 4. He says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Okay, a, little, a little explaining what in the world is that. We may not know anything about Midian. That's fine. That's not our, our world. These guys knew all about this Midian thing. Because there was a point in the book of Judges when Israel was being smothered by the Midianites. It was an enemy who just trampled on their stuff, who called the shots. They couldn't go anywhere, breathe. The Midianites controlled it. And so Gideon, just a few guys 
takes on this entire army of the Midianites. Great victory. Now Israel can breathe. They're free again. And he's just reminding them that, you remember that day? They're like, oh yeah, that day. That's what it's going to be like. Victory. When, when, when the, the light comes and there's incredible joy, there's victory. You, you will, will win. And he goes on, verse 5, he says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Not only that, will there be victory, there will be peace. Everything that's, every accoutrement of war, anything that's a semblance of war, anything that reminds you of war, all of the, the tools of war, they're all gone. You can't remember, they're done. Peace. So everyone wants world peace. Well, the only time you get peace is, is right, right here. And then how are you going to get this light and this joy and this victory and this peace? Well, then he says, okay, this is how you get it. For, for to us. It's another circle thing. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He'll be in charge of politics of the world. And his name shall be called. Now, keep in mind, these guys are used to the kings who are governments on their shoulders. They just had Ahaz. Oh, yeah. They, they got a whole list of guys. Some of them who were okay, but they all failed in one way or the other. But this one, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, Wonderful Counselor, wonderful, interesting word. It's really not like my name is wonderful, like I write that on my top of my paper on my checks. It's kind of a category. Uh, in, in the book of, of Judges, just move, be with me for a second, follow me. Uh, and this is throughout the Old Testament. You will see on occasion something called the angel of the Lord. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord, you see that as you read through the Old Testament, many scholars believe that is God. That, that is God. And, and there are a good handful of scholars who believe not only is that God, that is the second person of the Trinity. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. So when you see the, the, the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus before he was Jesus. Uh, and in Judges, this angel of the Lord is talking to a guy named Manoah and making him some promises. And, and after he makes some of these promises, Manoah asks him something pretty important. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. Now, he, he's not really saying, you know, we should be on a first name basis there, angel, since you've given me these pro- great promises. What he's asking him is, he's asking for his credentials. Yeah, you've made these promises, but who are you? Do you have the wherewithal to pull this off? These promises you've made are pretty a- incredible. Uh, who are you? And look at the angel's answer. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Now, he's not saying my name really sounds cool. You know, it's good. He's not, not saying that. He's saying su- wonderful means supernatural. Saying it's, it's, it's in a category you can't understand. You're trying to figure me out. You want to know who, who I am. You want to understand exactly who I am. You just need to know it's way beyond you. 
You're out of your league with this one. I, it's, it's way beyond you. So, so wonderful has two aspects to it. First of all, it has a supernatural aspect. And then secondly, it has a supernatural, but for your good. Not like powerful, like a tornado that could create damage, but it's supernatural, but for your good. It's miraculous. It's for your good, but it's a whole different world. So he says, my name is, is wonderful, right? Wonderful counselor. Now, again, in English, we look at counselor and we think, okay, a counselor is like an advice giver person. Um, there are uh, therapists, all right, are your counselors. And um, just understanding some difference. Therapists, right? Are, are not, they, they don't know everything about you. They know what you've shared, and they know some things about how the, the mind works, but they don't know everything about you unless you've shared it. And so there might be things you're too embarrassed to share, or things that maybe you only kind of shared. You know, you kind of colored it a little bit to change it just a little bit, or maybe you forgot some things, or maybe some things were stuffed down. You couldn't remember those things. And so they are working off of information that it is limited. A counselor, therapist today, you know that there are laws against this idea of therapists entering into life with their client. They're told, they're warned, do not become emotionally attached to your client. Make sure that their problem is theirs, that it is not yours, that there is a gap between them and you, and you can help them give them counsel for their problem, but make sure when it's all done, it's theirs, it is not yours. And you can see the wisdom behind that, right? If they carried the problems of every person they talk to, this would kill the poor person. But think of, of, of Jesus. Not only did he enter in with this, you know, God so loved, he didn't just see our problems, he didn't just enter, he took them for himself. Uh, Jesus, he's a wonderful counselor because he, he operates with all uh, information. He, he knows it all. Jesus, he's a regular therapist, and I've been to, to counselors and have benefited by a good godly counsel. Uh, so I'm not dissing counselors, but um, the reality is they're fallen people as well. And, and they've got baggage like everyone else has. And their discernment may, may not be perfect or infallible, but this guy, this counselor, this, this, he's, he's supernatural for your good. But it goes beyond that because it incorporates that. But this idea of counselor in the Bible is not so much advice giver as it is truth teller. It's, um, it's, it's a leader. Uh, Isaiah is saying there's someone coming. See, these guys are used to their kings. They're used to the Ahazes. There's a leader coming who's supernatural, powerful, limitless on every level. He's for your good. He's going to lead you. He's your, 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 your wonderful counselor. What, a, what an a, amazing, amazing thing. Because they knew who Ahaz was. Now, this is, this is a fascinating verse. When you, when you think through how does this wonderful counselor lead us? Uh, I, I love this verse. Isaiah 40, verse 11. What, what, what a cool verse. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He sees us as a shepherd, not, not a company, not, not people to drive, not a machine to operate. Uh, he's, we're not, he's not going to lead us for his, his benefit, Necessarily, you know, where you just kind of crush the people.
people and, and their collateral damage to help me achieve what I need. Um, he will get glory, but, but it's always this, the wonderful, supernatural. It's good for, for us. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom that's close to his heart and gently lead those who are with young. I used to, when I was, especially when my kids were little, I would be so battle inside because I wanted to spend more time in quiet time. I wanted to spend more time with God, but I hit my life was chaos. You know, it's just it was all the little kids. And blah, blah. He gently leads those with young. He knows our limitations. He's not hammering on us to do something we just can't. It's, 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 he knows who we are. He leads us, carries us. Remember uh, Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd. You know, this is his favorite picture of himself. I think that shepherd thing is real close to the counselor. He, he's our, our shepherd. He, he leads us beside still waters because he knows we need it. He makes us lay down in green pastures uh, when we need it. Uh, he, he, he restores our soul. He leads us in the path of righteousness. He leads us for his namesake. And then it says that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will not fear. Why? Because thou art with me. Because this, this, one of the things that makes him a wonderful counselor is he knows everything about us. He's always with us. He's always been with he's been. He was with you. He knitted you together in your mom's womb. And then he's always been with you. Let's look at Psalm 139, 7 and 8, I think. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's hell, you're there. You can't get away from, from God. It says, if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We, I was going to say at one point as I was putting this together, well, we, can, we can leave his presence. We can walk away from it. You can't. You can't get away from his presence. You can't ignore him, but you can't get away from his, his presence. He's there as, as their shepherd. And because he's there, and because he's always been with you every second from the moment you're, you're born, the whole time you're in the womb, uh, he stayed by your cradle 24-7. He knows exactly what you were thinking when you were three years old on December 3rd at 2.15 p.m. He was there at your birthday. He knows how you felt when your folks split. He knows how you felt that first day of school in the new school. He knows how you, you, you felt when you were publicly humiliated. He remembers all the good things that you do that you don't think any Anyone else knows about he was there when you went to school you went to college and you did that one thing you shouldn't have done and that bad stuff that you accomplished that still haunts you he knows he knows he knows your limitations he knows what pains and what hurts what better person to be our leader our counselor he'll never lead us in a bit always supernatural leading us um let me give us a case study. This is how this kind of works out. Exodus. These guys just coming out of the, out of the, remember they were hanging out in Egypt for 400 years. You just had 10 plagues and finally Pharaoh says, go, go. So when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now notice a couple of things about this. 
God did not say, okay, I got you guys out of Egypt. Now just go. You're free. Go. You're free of that tyrant. See you in heaven one day. Enjoy life. God didn't do that. God didn't take a vote. He didn't say, okay, guys, let's vote. Which way should we go? Because we're all voting to go down the coastal road, man. We, we, we would all do that. But but let me see if I can here. This is the Holy Land. It's where they're supposed to go. And Moses had been saying, let my people go. So we're going to go worship. We're going to go to our new land. We're going to go to the Holy Land. And so the people are expecting, we're going to the Holy Land. Well, you're leaving Egypt. How best to get there? Well, pretty direct shot. Coastal road. It's a paved road. It's the most comfortable road. It's the most convenient road. It's the most family-friendly road. It's a beautiful uh, road, I, I'm told. And they, they, they would all vote, that's the most efficient That's the quickest. It's the shortest. Of course, that's the way we should go. But God knows something that they don't know. God, we tend to overestimate our own ability to discern and our own wisdom and our own faith. But God knows these guys have been been enslaved for the last 400 years. They come up that road, and suddenly you Philistine land, you got 2 million Israelites marching into Philistine land, the Philistines are probably going to come against them with everything they got. They're going to be decimated. I mean, years down the road, when they're trained warriors, God would send them into the Gaza Strip today. God would send them in there. And even then, the battles would be horrific. God knows that that right through that direction, lots of idols. And these people who've been in Egypt for for 400 years, they're going to just walking in and suddenly the temptations and suddenly the allurement and suddenly suddenly the the idols are going to be calling their name. And these guys are going to be dead meat spiritually, if not physically. God knows what we can handle and what we can't. He knows what you can handle and what you can't. He's he's a wonderful, he's not mean counselor. He's not a mean leader. He's a wonderful leader. And so he takes his people and he says, yeah, we're not going to go that way. We're going into the desert. Now, if you got out of Egypt, you're probably excited, and you're looking at the coastal road thinking, that's the way we're going, but you're watching the cloud take you towards the desert. You're going, why? I, 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 we should go. I don't know. Has God ever led you into the desert? You're frustrated with him. You knew the way you should go. You know, sometimes we think we don't need a wonderful counselor. We've got the plan. We don't need someone to lead us. We know we need the almighty God part. See, we need someone to make it work for us. But we don't need a wonderful counselor. We've got the plan figured out. God, you just need to do this. You need to get us along the coast. But there's things that you learn in the desert that you can't learn anywhere else. Where they would learn to worship and they would learn what his expectations are. They would learn who he is. They would learn who they are in him. So we think sometimes... When God leads us toward the desert, he's just ripping us off. If he let us go, you can be sure, sure, you'd be be clobbered one way or the other. 
He's a good, he's a wonderful, he's a good counselor. He leads us aright. He leads us aright. Next, next text. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. And then what happens, you know this, Pharaoh starts looking around, right? He's saying, what have I done? I let all the people who worked my fields and brought in my food leave. Now how am I going to eat? And I let all the people who iron my clothes and stuff leave. And now how am I going? What am I going to wear? And the guys who built my pyramids are all gone. So no more pyramids. We're all done. Let's go get these people back. And so they start, get their war machine chasing them down. But, but, but God has didn't lead them along the coast. Maybe they could make a run for it at that point, right? But, but, but he led them into the desert towards the Red Sea. And so the people are kind of stuck. They're, they're facing the Red Sea and they look behind them and there's all of the Egyptian war machine coming down on top of them. And they're going, oh, did God lead us in a mess this time? Yeah, let God lead us. Right, right. We followed that dumb cloud and look what it did for us. Makes no sense. But look what happens. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. By the way, that angel of God, Paul's going to let us know that was Jesus. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought the darkness to one side and light to the other. This is a great principle. Where God directs, he protects God is with us. This is real important. But he's not with us to watch us. You know, I get this impression, especially when I was a kid, that he's like, you know, making a list and checking it twice. And he's just waiting to see if I screw up and not if, when I screw up and how badly I screw up. And he's taking notes and he's going to let me have it because of that. He's with us, but not to, to watch us. He's with us to watch over us. Remember, he's the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't hang out and, and watch the lion come after the sheep and say, well, you know, the sheep didn't ask me to do anything, so I'm just going to wait here until the sheep calls out to me, and then I'll step in. The shepherd jumps. No one prayed, oh, God, help us. God just moved in and took care. He's a, he, we should be praying, but it's not all us. We've got a, a wonderful counselor. Do you know him as a wonderful counselor? Don't you you realize he's leading us in in life? That, that's that's really the question. We've come to know him. Maybe you come to know him as Savior. You accepted him. You're going to heaven. Sincerely, legitimately so. You repented and, and claimed his, his blood. Uh, you're there. But you don't know him as a wonderful counselor. And you're going through life fearful and afraid. And I am the victim of everyone else's stupid mistakes. I'm the victim of my own stupid things. I, I, and you're going through afraid. You need to know. If you know Christ, he is with you as a wonderful counselor. You can trust him. The question is not. It's not, it's not do I sense him? Do I feel him with me? Have I seen outward manifestations? It's not. Um, it's do you recognize he is with you? Do, do, you, do you trust his word? He is with you. That's, that's the question. That's the challenge for us. Uh, he's going to take us to heaven one day, if we know him. 
He's not just turn us loose in this world and say, go. He's got a plan for us here. He's leading us accordingly. If you love him, let me tell you, it is hard to get out of the will of God. If you love him, it is hard to get out of the will of God. He's a good shepherd. He's a wonderful counselor.